Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode five on our study of Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Tommy Bridges, how are you this morning? Good morning, John. I am well. Wonderful morning. It is a wonderful morning. Thank you for joining us and being on this journey with us. We, uh, we find ourselves at the end of section one of Richard Foster's book. He divides that book into three sections, all centering around these spiritual disciplines that seem to have been lost in modern church practice. He divides the book into these three sections, inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. We've been uh, working our way through these inward disciplines, starting with meditation, prayer. Last week, we talked about fasting. Today is on the subject of study. I remember in, in seminary, the importance that professors put on the practice of studying Scripture, the practice centered around observation, interpretation, and application. And how many times people want to just jump into interpretation without observing, or they jump to application without seeing what the interpretation might mean for us. And that's a very dangerous place to find ourselves when it comes to studying scripture or applying what it means to us. But there is this important thread throughout scripture where God emphasizes the importance of studying scripture. I'm reminded of Joshua, and when Joshua was taking over the leadership of the uh, Jewish people and leading them into the Promised Land, east of the Jordan River, before they had even stepped into Canaan, God gives him this commission where he says in Joshua 1, verses 6 through 9, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses that my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, so that you may have success where you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, how important is this commission that we read that Joshua received from God? How important is that for us today? John, I think it's very important. Uh, The beginning of this, this discipline I was less, I was kind of uh, taken back because I familiar with prayer and meditation and somewhat fasting but this this discipline of study was but is really very very interesting and I think as Foster says it's one of the main sources that we use to come closer to God and I went to to Webster to to define what study is, as he says, the application of the mind to the ac- acquisition of knowledge by reading, investigating, and reflection. And I think we have to go back to the whole purpose of the spiritual disciplines is the total transformation of the person, 
of us. Right. Replacing old destructive habits of, of our thoughts. And, and, and the, re- the results of this study is, is a new life-giving habits. And one of the things that uh, he mentioned from from the beginning is he mentions Paul again, and Paul is <laughs> is consistently we see Paul's writings, especially in the Book of Romans, in these spiritual disciplines. And it's interesting that uh, Romans twelve two, and here we see Paul's discussion of our relationship with the Lord. And our relationship with other people, with the church, with with government, with the entirety of our our universe, and here we see, as we read in this in this scripture, that the uh, just like the disciplines of meditation, prayer, and fasting, by committing ourselves to the spiritual disciplines. We are putting ourselves in a position where God can can renew our minds. And obviously, Paul is saying in this is we have to renew our minds. We have to to let our minds be centered on, on God. And he talks about not only our mind, but our bodies in he can use our bodies in our in our everyday life as an offering of worship and and we come to church to worship corporately but what do we do monday through saturday and i think that's what paul is is talking about real worship is offering our everyday life to god i think it's interesting that even in that verse uh, in Romans 12, 2, it's, Paul does not make a suggestion here. He, he makes this uh, implication that, um, that this is a natural result that will happen. It's a decision that we make. It's do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And where Foster set, settles and digs in is right there at this renewing of our mind. And how different that is than um, uh, through uh, devotional reading or hearing a sermon. There are some points that do renew our mind, but those are almost regurgitated from somebody else's study. Most of the time, Christians find their depth of knowledge from what other people have studied, and what they're getting is something that's secondhand or third hand or fourth hand and they're missing the value of digging in themselves and seeing this transformation happen exactly john and i think when i read this from scripture romans 12 2 i went to william barclay's commentary on romans 12 2 which is a very lengthy discussion of what paul is saying in those first two verses And I like the statement, what he says. He said, don't try to match yourself, your life, to all the fashions of the world. Don't be like a chameleon. Wow. Don't change colors from your surroundings. 
and don't let the world decide who you're going to be like. Wow. Don't let the world decide your identity. Wow. That's the purpose of study. Now, had I not read William Barclay's commentary on those two verses, which was about two pages long, of course, he goes into a lot of Greek <laughs> relationships <laughs> as far as words are concerned. But the gist of the matter is, again, going back to putting ourselves in a position where God can transform us into what he created us to be. Why do you think many contemporary Christians push back against the discipline of study or at least settle that what I hear on a, from a sermon, what I read in a devotional is sufficient? Why do you think people are like that? Why, why do they push back on that? I think the mere word study kind of brings in, uh, well, I don't have time for this. Uh, I, uh, I do my devotion in the mornings, and that's probably uh, anywhere from five minutes to an hour, maybe. Uh, so I, go, I think it goes back again to what Richard Foster said in, in the beginning. You know, we live in a society that's hurry, 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 hurry. You know, we don't make time to sit and really dig into, in this particular case, Scripture or other books related to what we're studying here uh, or what we're focusing on. Like, for example, Romans 12, 2. Right. You take any Scripture and, and you really uh, reach out to other commentaries or other books on that subject and read it. That's study, and that takes time, and that takes concentration, and that takes, you know, reading it over and over again. It's interesting. I think everybody is like this. Is You know, we can read things one time, probably put it down and go back and read it again and read it again and read it again, and we say, wow, I got it now. So I, th I think it takes time to do that. And I think people uh, are not willing to invest that time and in, in really study to, to get what it's offering us. And that, and that is putting ourselves in that position. I, I agree with you. Even from the perspective of not having time, that what feeds that is they would almost rather, and I— I say this because I have gone through this as one of the ministers here at St. Paul. I mean, I, I, I go through this that if I read somebody else's thoughts on it, a passage, and how it affected them, how that scripture renewed their mind, it's easy to stay at a distance and say, well, that's nice. And it becomes more of a narrative or a prose that's the devotional study. What does it mean? How has it affected other people? But the study goes into that portion of our hearts and our minds that must come face to face with the question, what does this mean to me? What change must happen inside of me? What promise do I need to uh, grasp onto? And so 
that idea of of it being difficult and it's easier to do it from a distance or do it from somebody else's somebody else's words i think other people might even say i'm not good enough you know i don't i don't have enough knowledge or anything so they 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 skirt around the blessings that come from study in scripture by saying well i'm okay with just learning from a distance i'm okay learning from somebody else and they miss out on the Holy Spirit speaking through God's word to us, that renewal of our minds, our minds. Exactly. Uh, interesting statement that Foster made in the book. Uh, he states that we remain in bondage to fears and anxiety simply because we do not avail ourselves to the discipline of study, which brings me to the point that you and Shane— you deliver wonderful uh, sermons, okay? So we in the audience, in the congregation, we listen, and uh, we say, oh, gosh, that's that's great, you know? And we leave. At least we hope that people (laughs) say that. (laughs) Well, we're we're very fortunate here at St. Paul that we have two excellent ministers that— that really are fantastic, and and I think that's evidenced by what you and I are doing right now. But we take that sermon, and it can be usually is based on Scripture, always is based on Scripture, and that Scripture is applied to the sermon. Now, what do we go home and say, gosh, I really want to find out a little bit more about what John or Shane said in their sermon. Do we do that? No. Probably not. I would I would guess probably ninety nine point nine percent of the congregation would not do that. It brings me to another point. Having the privilege of uh, teaching Sunday school with the with the Wildwood class, you know, when you teach Sunday school, you really have to you have to put in a lot of energies into bringing a message, or there's some pretty sharp people out there, and they might just challenge you on what you're saying. So. That has been more of a blessing to me than to them. Well, absolutely. And that's the magic of study because you really get into the weeds of what the scripture or whatever you're talking about, you have to really get in and research what you're saying is got is is, is valid. Tommy, I have to ask you, when when you prepare, because you bring this up. Uh, when you brought up your, when you're preparing a lesson for the Wildwood Sunday School class, do you find that in the course of your study that um, what you finally get narrowed down to what you're going to teach about or what your lesson is, that there are so many things that did not get into the serm- or the lesson that fall to the, they go on the cutting floor and, and never make it into the sermon? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and and those things on the study, you know, I may I I may have five or eight pages of notes and thoughts and interpretations and quotes that never make it into the sermon, and um, and those are the riches of of that I get to hold on to. I wish I could, you know, pass those on, but they don't make it in to the sermon or the exactly. lesson. Exactly. And in case in point, I'll write out my lesson, and I will deliver that message, 
and I will take it home and put it away. And then possibly a couple of weeks later, I said, hmm, I'm going to read that again, you know. And I said, oh, why didn't I mention this? <laughs> you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that are, are left out. And after you go back and read it again or think about it again, why didn't I mention that? What is interesting to me is that, and I appreciate, is what God does not expect us to do is check our brains at the door when we walk into the sanctuary or the Sunday school room or into our place of personal study when we study the scripture. Uh, He allows and invites us to reason, to think through, to what we talked about as meditation, to allow these things for the sole purpose of us getting to a place that we ask the question ultimately, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And this pushes against a lot of the ingrained habits that we are inundated with when it comes to the distractions around us. We talked about that last week with the fasting. You know, fasting brings us to a place that we can identify what is actually controlling us at the moment. When we get into a place where we study and we dig into the scripture, we can kind of push, not kind of, we actually push against those distractions and say, at the moment, this is what is important for me right now. And I, once again, Paul, finally, brothers, at the end of uh, Philippians, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, whatever's lovely, commendable, if there's excellent, if any of these things are pray, worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. Allow those things to seep into the very fabric of what makes you move and what defines you, your identity. There is something so rich and rewarding that I could never, I could never glean from the world today that God is wanting to give us and remind us of and identify us as through the process of that renewal of our minds. Yes. Going back to uh, your sermons and Shane's sermons and Sunday school classes and everything like that, we, we can have a wonderful experience on Sunday mornings uh, through Sunday school and, and, and church. But does it really change us? Do we go home and we engage in the activities of Sunday afternoon and then we get ready for Monday in the week? Does it really change us? I don't think so. Because we really don't utilize that central way God uses to change us. And that's, as you just alluded to, really getting into the meat of the Scripture and really, really studying that. Right. And, and it's not a matter of our intention. We, I think we all have no. intentions to do it. I think it is being very proactive and intentional to say for these moments, uh, and Richard Foster says it should not, you know, if you can, don't do it at home, do it because there's so many distractions that can come. But to be very intentional to uh, allow ourselves to be transformed for the, through this renewing of our minds. 
you know, he also says, uh, he identified what is study. And Foster says it's a specific kind of experience in which through careful attention to reality, and that's a key word, reality, the mind is enabled to move in a certain direction. Remember, the psychologists tell us this as well. The mind will always take on an order conforming to the order upon which it concentrates. I'm sure he was the one who actually introduced me to this uh, many years ago when I first was reading this, that I was amazed that the mind can only consciously think of one thing at a time. Right now, I am not having to think about my heart beating or my eyes blinking or the, the thousands of stimuli that are attacking my brain right now and demanding attention, that the mind has this ability to zero in, if we allow it, to uh, a single-mindedness uh, about what is before us at any moment. And if we're not careful, there are so many other stimuli that will demand that attention from us. Exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's just like, as Paul said, and I, it might be in Philippians, but anyway, he said, focus on what's straight ahead of you, letting go of the past, and focus on one single thing at a time. Because we can't. We, we can't multitask and 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 really do what we need to do is accomplish what we need to do. It won't happen. The interesting word reality, I think our society has trouble with reality. I really do. I'll tell you a funny story that happened to me years and years ago. Uh, we were entertaining, entering into a business relationship, and a very, very wise man told me, you better really look at this again and in my stubborn nature I said oh no you know this this is gonna work out great this is gonna great right he says son let me tell you something you know denial is not a river in Egypt <laughs> and that's always stuck with me <laughs> he knew the reality of what would happen and thank God we didn't do it and he it proved himself right. That just accentuates and emphasizes how uh, prideful people are exactly. in this. Exactly. I mean, I don't want to say that there was a notion of pride inside of you because there's hundreds of other ways in my own life that I have succumbed to that uh, pride. But Foster makes that point in this chapter that Study is built upon the foundation of humility. Humility is, is so necessary to become that predicate that allows us, allows us to actually uh, have our minds transformed, that we no longer become the, the teacher, but accept the position of student. When you take the, the Bible which we're, we're focusing on here as far as study is concerned, is, is through the study of the contents or the instructions, it directs our mind repeatedly 
in regularity toward thoughts about God and our human relationship to him. Just read the Psalms. You know, the all, the majesty and glory. And, and read how David talks about his inner struggles in Psalms 51, which I think is his basic confession. Or like you said, Psalms 46, be still and know that I'm God. All through the Psalms, it's a wonderful book, uh, starting from Psalms 1 all the way to, what is it, Psalm 150, something yeah. like that. Uh, it's a beautiful book just to read. The vulnerability of David. <clears throat> yeah. The, um, the invitation that he models for us to allow that vulnerability to bring us to the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. In uh, Foster's book, um, he, he does give us four steps that are involved in, in study. Uh, uh, there's repetition, there's concentration, there's comprehension, and there's reflection. I don't know about you, but for me, what stood out to me was repetition, 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 uh, repetition. It, it allows us to focus what's demanding our attention at the moment into a specific direction. Um, and if you think about this um, and how effective uh, repetition is, think of the last radio ad that you heard. How many times do they repeat the phone number? They, they repeat it at least three times because you were thinking of something else at the time. And, and then we're, our mind catches up and says, well, did they just repeat that three times? And you find yourself saying it over in your head three times. Why? Repetition. And if the world's advertising agencies know about this, how much and more important it is in our study of scripture to be repetitious of reading the same passage over and over again and thinking about it, meditating on it. Just, just this one ad on television, Mike Lindale, my pillow. He's gone from my pillow to my towel, <laughs> to my sheets. This guy, I don't know how much he spends on advertising, but how would I know his name? You heard it over and over, over and again. over and, and guess what Tommy did about three months or four months ago? He goes to bed, bath, and beyonds and buys a my pillow. <laughs> and it is a pretty nice pillow, actually. But gosh, this guy is owned constantly. And I said, Wow. It's over and over, over and, and over and over again. So take that to heart and allow that to become a part of our study habits, that there is a sense of repetition, not just what we're uh, studying specifically. Maybe it's a passage, a pericope, uh, a few verses, one verse. Maybe it's just one word in a verse. Um, allowing that to just go over and uh, kind of roll over in your mind over and over and over again. Um, he says concentration is important. Um Concentration is not valued maybe as much as concentration was when I was growing up. 
my grandma used to always say to me, you know, you look at me when I'm talking to you, you look at me because my eyes would be darting over here and there and everywhere. And, and it, it was a prerequisite to look at grandma when she was talking to you and shaking her finger at you that you were going to look at me. You're going to, I want your attention. I want you to concentrate on what I'm saying. Um, the, the use of, uh, our cell phones as alarms, <laughs> It, it we we when the alarm goes off we'll swipe it off and if anyone is like me i will look at some of my notifications that i missed over the night we were talking to an author yesterday in another podcast on the holy spirit uh, carlos whitaker and he was telling us that before our feet hit the floor we consume more information in those 15 minutes of looking at our notifications than our great-grandparents did in a month. Now, we are inundating our minds with so much. There's this intentional need to concentrate, to stop. And then there's comprehension and reflection. And those become the third and fourth steps to study. John, one of the interesting things that I, I experienced several years ago was uh, there are 31 books in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. If you take one chapter and read that chapter over and over again for a week and for 31 days, you would have completed the book of Proverbs. But there again, you come to the repetition. What can you find out more in day three than you do did in day one? It's a wonderful exercise, and the book of Proverbs is just a wonderful book on how we live. Uh, another book that I, I was very excited about, uh, and Shane taught a morning Bible study on it, was The Knowledge of the Holy. By A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer. And uh, the whole purpose of the book is to, for us to understand who God is and how he relates to us, the attributes of God. And when you really think about the attributes of God in one little one, mercy and grace. Wow. Now tell me, those don't have the ability to transform your mind, transform you. Oh, they do. They do. And you have other, other books. Uh, you have Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. You and I have talked about that before. What a wonderful book, and what a wonderful man that lived during a time of just absolutely the, the devastation of Germany and basically Europe during the Nazi from 1930 all the way to 1945. And unfortunately, you know, he was executed like two months before the war ended in 1945. But... Gosh, what he he talks about in that book just resonates. And in another book that I, I was fond of that that I had a little trouble reading, but uh, it's it's kind of interesting is the Confessions of Saint Augustine. And a lot of people probably don't know who that is, but here's a guy that was raised in what is now Algeria. Uh, by a pagan father and a Christian mother. 
And he really had a, a life of trying to figure out who he was. And he was a, a wonderful teacher. And he taught pagan ideas in the Roman Empire. That, and this was probably the end of the 4th century or something like that. But the, the transformation from pagan ideas and pagan lifestyles to the Christian lifestyle kind of equates to what Paul did. I mean, once he converted, it was, it was over. I mean, he was totally committed to the Christian life and was very instrumental. And when Emperor Constantine came in to, to be the emperor of Rome at that time, uh, it was very interesting, but, but it's a little hard to read. But those are other, other inputs, other spigots that, that allow us to renew our mind, to slow down, to focus on seeing ourselves through uh, God's perspective. The study gets us to the place, not just where we are learning about the subject or the subject matter or whatever is being uh, written about or what we're reading, but goes the step to discovering what this subject matter says about us, about who we are. And it it becomes a, a very important Christian discipline because we live not intentionally in a way that we are pushing back against the way God sees us, but we don't dive into it fully and wholly that, that this becomes a venue where we are transformed, where we are renewed. This is an important part of our Christian maturation and our faith journey in so many ways. So true, John. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was really approaching this study with humility. Because I think we see so many times people gaining knowledge with an arrogant attitude. And we don't need to do that because we have so much more to learn than we don't know. But I think it all starts with all these disciplines. But this one particular is a very, very interesting one and one that I have found just recently to, to be so so wonderful in, in my own life. Rewarding? Yeah, very rewarding. And I, and I feel the transformation, too. Uh, and, you know, it, again, we're on this life continuum, so to speak, uh, moving forward, and hopefully we won't drop off that path, but to keep us on that path and to allow, have allowed the Holy Spirit to guide us in what we do and every decision we make. And it's, there again, we spoke about this earlier as co-laborers with God. You know, he's the CEO of Tommy Bridges. And there again, Tommy has to understand that. Thank you. We'll leave it on that. And that is a, a wonderful point to leave it on. Here we are at the end of these inward disciplines. We had meditation, prayer, fasting, study. And it seems overwhelming at times to discern what is important for us at any moment, which one should we jump into. But let me just encourage those who are joining us today 
to at least take one step towards a discipline, these inward disciplines. They become a foundation for the outward disciplines and the corporate disciplines. Over the next few days, dive into what it would look like uh, for intentional study or fasting or meditation or prayer. And just trust that the Holy Spirit will respond and uh, will work within you to make you who you are to be in God's eyes. God bless you and thank you again for joining us.